Hi, this is Roger Firestein, author of Creating a Flash, a Leader's Recipe for Breakthrough Innovation, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Roger Firestein. Dr. Roger Firestein is senior faculty member of the Center for Applied Imagination at SUNY Buffalo State and is president of Innovative Resources, Inc., an innovation consulting firm. Roger lives in Buffalo, New York, and feels refreshed after farm therapy. He's here to talk about his book, Create in a Flash, a leader's recipe for breakthrough innovation. Welcome, Roger. Bill, it's great to be with you today. It's terrific to be with you too. Tell me, when you were growing up, Roger, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Two of the main influences in my life as far as creativity are concerned were my mother and my father. My father could uh, was a farmer and he could fix machinery with duct tape and wire. My mother has right now at her body of work uh, over 100 quilts and has continued to produce creative work when she's in her, in her late 80s. Another was a music teacher of mine, Ed Ranham, who inspired me to take music and uh, my interest in the guitar and uh, open a guitar studio in Colorado and uh, work with students uh, all the way through college. And that's how I paid my way through college. It was through the inspiration of my mom and my dad and this music teacher that I really began to kick an interest in the field of creativity. And I wanted to get my students to get more creative, and I began to read about creativity. And I found this place in Buffalo, New York, where I now teach, that really focuses on the study of creativity. And in 1977, I attended a conference here, moved out here in the late 70s, and have been here ever since, focusing on my work on creativity and innovation. That isn't where you did your undergraduate work, though, is it? No, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Northern Colorado, and I was a music major there. And what I found was, when I was working with my students, I found that they were getting bored with their music. So I thought if they could, if I could get them to get more creative, they'd enjoy their music lessons more. And so I began to read all these books about creativity, and I think I kept the college bookstore in business that summer. And there was one place and two names that came up consistently in the literature. One was a fellow named Sid Parnes. Another was a woman named Ruth Noller. And they were at this place called the Center for Creative Studies at uh, SUNY Buffalo State. Well, here's the story about how I kind of got into the business. One day in April of 1977, I was uh, living at my parents' uh, house on the farm in Colorado. And I was in my room in the basement, and there was a phone down there. And I got the courage to call this center out in Buffalo, New York. I talked to the secretary and she said, uh, Roger, Dr. Parnes is here. And would you like to speak with him? Well, Bill, I'd never spoken to an author before in my life. And my experience with authors were they were dead, right? And so here I am and talking to this creativity rock star who's written these books and uh, he's talking to this kid in Colorado. I get on the phone, I have a conversation with Dr. Parnes. I get off the phone, he tells me about this conference and he tells me about this, uh, this new master's degree program. And I get off the phone and I'm so excited and I run up the stairs and I say to my mom, I said, mom, guess what? I just talked to Sid Parnes in Buffalo, New York. And you know what she said, Bill? She said, what? You made a long distance phone call? <laughs> you were in, in college at the time? Are you out of college? I was in college. I was a, a sophomore in college. 
And I fell in love with this creativity stuff. And so I came out here in 1977. No, I'm sorry, I was a junior. And uh, I took a conference. I took a course. I went back. I was on fire. I finished up my degree. My mom and dad said, Roger, when you got off the plane, that's all you could talk about was creativity and Buffalo and all these people that you met. And uh, I came out and I believe I was the seventh person to get the uh, master's science degree in creative studies in 1979. Began teaching at the university there in a faculty position in 1984. And Bill, I think now we've graduated over 600 folks with master's science degrees in creativity and uh, creative leadership. So I've been in the business for 42 years and I just continue to love it. It's very Star Wars, isn't it, Roger, where the student becomes the teacher? You know, Bill, I hadn't thought about that, but at 64 years old, turning to be 65 now, one of the joys that I have is I have this tremendous legacy of students. And because I've taught more people to lead the creative process than anybody else in the world, and we discovered this as we were beginning to do some marketing work a number of years ago, one, because of my work at Buffalo State, and two, because of my consulting and training work with corporations and and uh, government organizations and other organizations. I've just been out there a long time, but it does. It, it, it's so wonderful to look around and see these folks who have taken what they've learned from my work and from the work at the, at the center and have started successful businesses, have done stuff within the corporate arena, have done stuff in parenting. Let, let me jump in. So it's going to sharpen our conversation. Roger, let's just get through one of the misconceptions about creativity right from the start, where people no longer think that they are creative. And the reason I say that is because I read a study once where somebody said, go into any kindergarten or first grade classroom and ask everyone in the room, all the students, of course, who can sing. And they all raise their hand, say me, and then go into a high school classroom and ask the same question. And you'll just get tremendous shyness. People won't make eye contact and maybe one or two people will raise their hands. And it's it's really something that gets conditioned out of us, but it's something that we all have the innate capability to be creative in the very broadest sense of the word. Isn't that true from your experience? One of the most important things to realize in this in this field is that we're all creative when we all create in different and valuable ways. And one of the things that many people say to me is that they're not creative. Well, there's an, actually a model for that, and it's called the 4C model of creativity. And if we take a look at the, this whole model, there's one is the big C, and these are the big creators like Einstein or Curie or Mozart or Darwin or Helen Keller, and that's the eminent creativity. And the other is the little C kind of creativity. It's the kind of creativity that we do every day. It's a way to fix machinery on a farm with duct tape and wire or a way to make a delicious meal out of, uh, out of leftovers. The other is mini-C, which is the creativity that we have when we're learning something new, when a child is expressing something new, when you're getting a new idea. And the other is pro-C, which is professional creators that haven't reached the eminent status yet. So folks like you, Bill, are musicians that compose music or illustrators that illustrate uh, or books like, uh, like Creating the Flash. And what happens is that often people compare themselves with the big T types types of creators. And that's just not true because we all create in different and valuable ways. So maybe you haven't invented the printing press or invented the light bulb, but have you found a new way to tell someone that you love them? Or have you found a way to have a birthday party during this time of the pandemic? Or have you found a new way to make a meal? That's creativity. And we all create in different and valuable ways. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can keep in mind, that not only 
are people creating at the, at the, at the highest level, but incremental improvement and incremental creativity is absolutely essential. Roger, one of the things that business leaders understand is that it's not helpful to compare people, especially if they're so far ahead. It's not an inspiration, but they use it to depress themselves or to kind of whip themselves into more motivation, but it really doesn't often succeed. What's one of the mindset principles for getting people into a state of creativity, whether you're looking to brainstorm how to penetrate a new market or how to bring people together even when they're working from home? That's a great question, Bill. And the most important thing to keep in mind when you're looking to get more creative is to not judge your ideas while you're generating them. We call that deferred judgment. Because oftentimes what tends to happen is you'll be in a meeting or you, it happens when yourself, you'll come up with an idea and you'll come up with all those reasons why it won't work. Well, there's some guidelines that we follow when we generate ideas. And the first guideline is to defer judgment. Don't generate your idea. Don't, uh, don't evaluate your ideas while you're generating them. And the operative word here is to defer judgment. We're going to judge the ideas later, but right now we're just going to defer our judgment. We're not going to judge anything. So wait a second. I'm, I'm really interested in going to that one step further because people often dismiss that and say, well, we can't waste time with these things. But I think that's valuable fodder in the process, isn't it? Well, here's the data. And the data is by following the deferred judgment guidelines, what you can do is, and this is with a trained group, and easily in 10 minutes, you can come up with 70 or 80 ideas for solving a problem. So that's incredibly efficient work. I mean, 70 or 80 ideas for solving a specific problem. Then you can go through and evaluate and sort those ideas. But the generation of ideas doesn't take a lot of time when you're following some guidelines. And I think that's one of the big myths is that people think that creativity takes a lot of time. When you're using a process, when you're using a recipe for creativity, when you're following the guidelines for properly generating ideas, you can be incredibly more efficient as far as generating ideas and coming up with breakthroughs. And what would be one or two other additional guidelines people could follow when they're in that generative stage? Once again, is first defer judgment. Don't judge your ideas. Second, strive for quantity, because the more ideas you come up with, the greater are your chances of getting a good idea. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say you, and we, what we recommend is you set an idea quota or an idea goal. So let's say, for example, you set an idea quota at about 40 ideas. And what we know from our research is that within those 40 ideas, we're bound to get a breakthrough in there. And then we've looked at the ideas that have been generated. And here's what we found. We found they, they kind of fall into what we call the one-third, one-third, one-third category. The first third, about the first 10 to 12 ideas, these are the usual ideas, the, people, the ideas that people have thought of before. The second third, from idea like 12 to 26 or so, these are the more unusual ideas. People get a little crazier, a little goofier. They loosen up a little bit more. Now, those ideas are important because they help to form the more sophisticated and unusual idea combinations that occur later on in the process. And incidentally, if you hit your idea quota and you're really moving, let yourself go, you'll be real pleased with the ideas you get after that goal. But the key learning from that data is this. If you're sitting around and generating 10 or 12 ideas for solving a problem and you think you're getting real creative, you're not. All you're doing is getting those ideas out that are already rumbling around in people's heads. The creativity comes in the stretch. The innovation comes in the stretch. So two things that people can use right away is defer judgment, don't judge it, and then strive for quantity. Come up with lots and lots more ideas. And if I heard you correctly, there are three different buckets for those ideas when you're striving for quantity. One are the usual ideas. 
The second bucket are unusual ideas. And then what would you call the third bucket? Uh, the third bucket are the new ideas and the disruptive ideas. So the first ones would be the, the usual ideas, the incremental improvement. The second ones are the ridiculous, but sometimes brilliant. And the third ones are the disruptive and the new ideas. And it's in that stretch that those new ideas and those disruptive ideas occur. Got it. Thank you. So, Roger, one of the other things that I thought was wonderful, like as I flipped through the book when I first got it, I came to a page on page 69, and it's a hippopotamus looking over a wall in the upper left-hand corner. And in the bottom is a raccoon who's at the wheel of a car or a VW bug. And I thought to myself, this is not your usual book on creativity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and something tells me, something tells me that this was not just whimsical. It was deliberate because you're looking to stimulate people to think in ways that are different than the tried and true or even the, the familiar and depressing or <laughs> the, the ruts that people have gotten into. Yes. What's the value of exposing yourself to new ideas, new environments, and new stimuli in order to, to spark creativity? Well, let's come at that from a couple of ways. First off, the page that you looked at is, um, yes, this is a raccoon in a van. And yes, it's a hippopotamus, but the hippopotamus is in a hot tub. And so <laughs> what those pages are designed to do is to do a warm-up activity before you start to generate ideas. And so one of my favorite, I've got three favorite warm-ups. One is how to improve a bathtub, a lot of fun. Second is how to get a hippopotamus out of a bathtub. And then how to get a raccoon out of a van, which is a real story, and we're not going to go there. But one of the big mistakes that people have in organizations when they sit down to solve problems, and Bill, this is absolutely crucial, and it's one of the watchwords for this whole business and what I tell my graduate students all the time. One of the things that people do is that they immediately jump into the problem to be solved. Now, think of it this way. Athletes warm up. You stretch before you do strenuous exercise. So you do that so you don't get injured. So what we recommend people to do is that you do a little warm-up activity before you work on the real problem at hand. And so the warm-up activities might take, let's take five minutes and let's generate all the ways that we can improve a bathtub. People have a lot of fun with it. They joke around with it quite a bit. Or what are all the ways you can get a hippopotamus out of a bathtub? And that does a couple of things. First, a warm-up briefly trains the group in the brainstorming methods, in the methods that you're using. It also sanctions the time for speculation. And this is really crucial because when people come into a meeting, they've been in the implementation mode. They've been in the make it happen mode. They've been in, this, in the decision making mode. When we move into a creative thinking session, we want to speculate. And so to immediately switch gears from implement to speculate, it's very difficult for people to do. So that's why the warm up is absolutely crucial. The other thing is we want to create a judgment free zone. So to summarize, take five minutes before you do an actual idea generating session. Make sure you have a well-defined problem. We can talk about that in a second. And then just take a set a quote of 25 or 30 ideas, do a warm-up on how to get an elephant out of how to get a hippopotamus out of a bathtub, how to get an elephant out of a refrigerator, something fun, something whimsical like that, that loosens the group up, that trains the group in what they're expecting to do. And it increases the energy so that you, when you go into the real challenge, you're going to be much more successful. And I've got to tell you, Bill, in my entire career, when I neglected to do a warm-up exercise, I did that twice, all right? I either had to go back and do the warm-up exercise or I always had to do it again. So it's that crucial. So warm up first, even for just a few minutes, and then work on the challenge at hand. 
Hold on. I, I think that that's really valuable for managers listening to this of introducing creativity into their teams, that you need this transitional exercise in order to activate and access those energies and perspectives of your team members. So remember the warm up because it's that important. Roger, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. So earlier I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up. In your teenage years, What's a song you found inspiring growing up? <laughs> a song? Well, my gosh, there were so many songs. First one that comes to mind. Something by the Beatles. What's the first song that comes to mind? Something something by the Beatles. Something in the way she moves. <laughs> Is that something the song? In, something yeah, in, the, in way the way she moves. moves. Yeah, yeah. Is that it? That's it. And what's one way that you've found that's effective recently to convey teach and excite your students who are learning about creativity remotely. One, make connections with the things that are just looking, that are in the room with them. Uh, and creativity is making connections. So look around the room you're in, see what ideas you get from your lamp or your mouse to make connections. Because if you can't be with other people, use the things around you to make some more uh, connections and some new ideas. What would you say is the best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? You know, it hasn't come yet, but I think it's going to be my uh, stand-up desk. And Roger, with all seriousness, what is the most memorable way you've ever discussed getting a hippo out of a bathtub? <laughs> the most memorable, well, let's just be careful with this. It wasn't a discussion. It was coming up with lots of ideas. But I tell you what, in our video, we came up with about 76 ideas in seven minutes for getting a hippopotamus out of a bathtub with a well-trained group. And what would you say, now, creativity is all about generating. So this is the less is more question. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I think the most important habit or belief that's, that's brought satisfaction is I'm always thinking that I need to be out working with other people in person. I've gotten a lot of satisfaction by doing work remotely and doing interviews and, and uh, writing pieces and doing video pieces. So more introverted work has brought some great satisfaction. Terrific. Now, Roger, one of the things that a lot of times people mistake and devote their energies to in the wrong way is they try to solve a problem that isn't the key problem. What's one of the best ways you've found to help people understand when they've identified the real problem that they're looking to solve, if from a business context? So, well, let me give you an example. Probably one of the most important things to keep in mind is that when we come up with different ways, the, the best way to solve a problem is to come up with lots of different ways to define that problem. So we talk about creative questions. So first, let's determine what a good question is or a bad question is. First, if you say, well, we don't have enough money, that's a bad, that's not even a question. So we recommend that you ask creative questions. So a creative question begins with the words, how to or how might or in what ways might I? So instead of when you come up to somebody and say, well, here's an idea we want to work on while well, we don't have enough money, we'll rephrase it as a way of, how might we get the money or how might we reduce the cost? Let me give you an example um, that we're working on right now about solving the wrong problem. Bill, do you know what chalk causes heart attacks? It, there are a number of causes of heart attacks from stress or, or do you mean like the mm -hmm. very concrete restrictions of the, the vascular pathways? Yeah. Well, we're working on a video program right now called Innovation in Medicine. When the uh, rules change, creativity is king. And we needed an example from medicine where they were solving the wrong problem. 
And for years in the 80s, it was believed that plaque was the build that was the thing that caused heart attacks in hearts. And so plaque would build up, build up, build up, and it would cause a plug. Well, what happened was, and so they treated heart victim patients by reducing blood flow, by reducing energy needs, and people could be in the hospital for months, for weeks after having a heart attack. That was until they did a series of autopsies on heart attack victims. And what they found was it wasn't plaque that caused the heart attack. It was a blood clot. So what happens when the plaque ruptures or when a small tear in the artery happens, the body naturally comes in and it says, we need to stop this blood flow, right? Well, that led to the invention of stents and blood and blood clot thinners. And so for years, what was happening was, and, and much quicker recovery. So for years, what was happening is, is that we were solving the wrong problem. Medicine was solving the wrong problem because they were looking at what they con initially conceived was the problem. And that wasn't the problem at all. So that's oftentimes what tends to happen. We'll be looking over here where the real problem is in an entirely different direction. And that's an example we're using in a new piece we're working on right now. And that's interesting, Roger. What is a question or a short process that leaders can follow to make sure that they're solving the right problem? How do you validate that from a different perspective when you're actually in the problem? That's when it's a real challenge. So here's what we recommend. You're working on this particular problem. And instead of accepting the first definition of the problem, just as you come up with lots of ideas, lots of uh, ideas for solving a problem, it works great to come up with lots of creative questions. So we recommend starting creative questions with the words how to or how might or what ways might I. So before you work to try and solve a problem, take about 10 minutes and come up with about 10 or 15 different creative questions. How to, how might, in what ways might. Then by looking through that, you can pick the best creative question on which to generate some ideas. And let me tell you, Bill, in my entire career, what I've found is the original question that people want to work on is generally not the problem at all. It's a symptom. It's a larger aspect of it. So by generating lots of different creative questions, and you can say, oh, that's the problem that we really need to work on. That's the problem that we really need to work on. And there's been only one case in my career where the initial problem was the real problem. And all the other cases, it's been a derivation of that, or it's been a whole different aspect, or that's been a symptom. Roger, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing ideas about creating a flash. You've talked about the people who were important and in, instrumental in your life, including your parents and your music teacher who encouraged you to really take your guitar and think of creative ways, not just of learning it, but also of teaching it to your students. And special thanks out to Sid Parnes, who invited <laughs> you by getting on the phone and making that personal connection and how important that was in order to really change the trajectory of your career and your life, that one phone call. You shared with us the 4C model of creativity, where there's the big C with people who are creative, eminent leaders in the field that we all look to and acknowledge are creative. Then there's the small C of fixing things, just ordinary day-to-day -day life. The mini C of learning something new that we all participate in. And the pro C, where we're striving to become eminent and maybe not there yet, but looking to build our skills and our body of work. It, you reminded us the importance of not judging while you're creating and to strive for quantity in that early stage of the process, because from that quantity will come not just the usual ideas, but some unusual and some disruptive ideas. 
We talked about the importance of not immediately jumping into a solution because it's necessary to have a warm up that we engage those parts of our mind and creativity in order to think through and come up with creative ideas. We talked about the importance of asking the right questions and starting off with a how, how to or how might I as the beginning of solving an important problem. And with the example you're talking, you're working on now with innovations in medicine, where we found that the real cause of heart attacks isn't necessarily buildups, but it's more the blood clot that came about by asking the right question. So for all these reasons and so many more, Roger, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been my pleasure, Bill. Roger, before we say goodbye, what's one place that we could find your, uh, more about you and your work online? Just go to rogerfierstein.com, R-O-G-E-R-F-I-R-E-S-T-I-E-N.com, and you'll find Create in a Flash there. Many, many videos, other examples of this, lots of blogs and uh, all sorts of resources for you to, to, you to use in your day-to-day life. But we will link to your site. We'll link to your book on Amazon. We'll link to your social media channels to make it really easy to find what's going on in your life and with your work and catch up with you. Roger Firestein, author of Create in a Flash, a leader's recipe for breakthrough innovation. Thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. My pleasure. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.